Welcome to the Let's Think About That podcast where we don't just react. We'll break it down and think about it. We're going to talk news, the law, sports, whatever we're thinking about. We're your hosts, Ed Yeager and Lee Allen. Lee, how are you, my friend? Hanging in there, Ed. Hope you are. I am well, thank you. Yes, it's been another busy news week, hasn't it? It really has. Uh, Just a whole lot going on. A lot going on. We can declare the People's Law School in session. We, the people. Oh, yay, oh, yay, oh, yay. All persons having business before the Honorable, the Supreme Court of the United States, are admonished to draw near and give their attention, for the court is now sitting. God save the United States and this Honorable Court. And the topic of the night is the presidential pardon power. Yeah, you sent me uh, right much about that. Um, I guess... Uh, um, First of all, it's nice to reconvene the People's Law School. It's been a few uh, episodes. Uh, but uh, the, the president's, what I call blanket pardon of all those who are have been convicted of simple possession of marijuana in the federal system received a pardon uh, from the president, what, uh, Friday maybe, Thursday? It was Thursday, yes. Yeah. And um, your thoughts? Well, let's just go back a moment because that power actually comes from the U.S. Constitution. It's not something that Biden invented on his own. Article 2, Section 2, Clause 1 says the president shall have the power to grant reprieves and pardons for offenses against the United States, except in cases of impeachment. And it's almost it's almost a monarchical power. Uh, You know, when I was taking civics, we were told it was part of the checks and balances system. But it really kind of goes back to the authority of the king in England who could simply declare pardons or or any lesser, uh, you know, commutations and and such at will. And that kind of carried over into the American system. It was kind of debated during the time of the constitutional's uh, discussion. But, you know, it ultimately stuck. Uh, it's kind of used infrequently in it because there are always political consequences of it. Uh, doing some research, it seems the biggest pardon ever was Jimmy Carter, who pardoned something like 200,000 uh, draft dodgers from the Vietnam War era. And caught hell over it. And, and perhaps deservingly so caught hell over yeah. it. Uh, yeah. But he did stand by that decision. You know, the thing that struck me about Biden's decision is, well, a couple of things. First, there aren't a lot of simple possession cases of marijuana in the federal system. No. Just as a matter of fact, they deal with bigger fish. Right. And so if someone gets convicted of simple possession, it's probably been pled down from some type of trafficking offense as part of a you know, plea arrangement with, with all of their charges. Either that or it was committed on federal property. Yeah. Yeah. Another possibility. You know, otherwise it just doesn't happen. Yeah, and, and as you know, several outlets have reported, there is no one currently serving a sentence for simple possession of marijuana. Uh, but there are some 6,000 or so who had those convictions on their record. Um, the other thing is that it struck me that this is just a essentially a blatant change to federal law by the use of the pardon power, which is not what was contemplated in the Constitution. Uh, it's not what we learned about a bill on Capitol Hill making its way through. Biden has essentially changed the federal law on uh, marijuana possession. By fiat. By fiat. And, um, you know, say what you want. Maybe maybe some people support that. Others don't. Uh, but the fact is, Congress didn't weigh in on this. Well, in fact, Congress did. 
and they made it a and they made it a crime. Oh, they made it a crime years ago, and it's still on right. the books. Yes, and and so if he wants to change it, that's fine. That's his business. But but he needs to use the power of the presidency to uh, speak to the American people and or the Congress and get them to change the law rather than issue this pardon of thousands of people um, because he thinks that you know. Well, he, he he said during the campaign that that uh, he was going to change things with regard to simple possession of marijuana, and and now just before the midterms, he's done so. It was another blatantly political act, and you know, I, I thought that you know, if you're the guy sleeping on your parents' sofa because you can still stay on their insurance till you're 26, uh, and you can't find a job with your underwater basket weaving degree, and don't know how you're going to pay off your student loans from college. And you also have a marijuana possession charge. You know, this must be the president for you because he's hitting on all cylinders with uh, your political interest. Exactly. Um, And he probably already had those people on his side anyway. I guess the issue would be more of were they motivated to come out and vote in the midterms for the Democrats? Um, So, he, you know, you wonder how much he actually helped himself and his party politically. But it, it just reeks of politics. And, of course, you know, the, the pardon power, as you said, is, is, is plenary. I mean, he, he can pardon anybody he wants to for, for federal offenses and can't even really be questioned about it. It's simply a stroke of the pen and it's done. And uh, if it's a full pardon, it, it, it essentially, from a legal standpoint, says the crime never happened. And what do you think the next step will be? How many Democrat governors do you think will issue pardons for all of the state offenses they have authority over? Given what I believe in terms of uh, or what I believe are the issues facing um, candidates this fall and what I think they will face again in 2024, one of the biggies is crime. And so I don't think anyone is going to make hay politically in the next few years by running on a platform of decriminalizing uh, marijuana. Uh, It's already happened in a number of states. Um, I I almost want to say the states where it could happen, it's happened. I just don't see that happening anytime soon, given where we are uh, criminally. What do you think? Okay. Well, my prediction is that after... uh the election's over on November 8th. There are going to be some governors who are going to feel very secure. Maybe they're term limited and it's their last term, or maybe they've lost and they're headed out the door and they're going to issue pardons. Yeah, could very well be. Like the, the guy in Illinois 15, 20 years ago who uh, was a lame duck and uh, uh, on his way out the door, he uh, uh, he issued clemency, which is, I guess, a subset of the pardon power in that he commuted all of the people on death's rows sentences to life in prison. Um, I, you know, yeah, it could happen. Could well happen. You may be right. So we'll see. We'll see. Um, anyway, I thought it's it's just remarkable that, uh, that, that Biden has shown himself to be such a radical president and, and you know, some of his supporters talk about him being so consequential. Well, he's consequential because he's essentially forcing change on a 
a country when they didn't really vote for this. That's right. They voted for somebody who was not going to be Trump. He he's he's doing and who ran as the adults need to be back in charge. We, we need to get back to the mainstream. Um, and and he's doing stuff that is just totally uh, outside the the bell curve, uh, almost unanticipated, except by the far left wing of the Democrat Party. And and I think that one thing we can say is that at least, you know, from a from a historical standpoint, Joe Biden, publicly at least, professed disagreement with a lot of the things that he has done. So he's either completely and radically changed his thinking, and I don't think that's the case, or he's pandering, to use the Paul Sanders term, um, from the 92 campaign about Bill Clinton. And and it's to me, it smacks of desperation. Well, it does. And I guess, you know, maybe one effect of that was Tulsi Gabbard's announcement this week that she was leaving the Democrat Party. Uh, probably not too much of a surprise, given that she was, I, I guess, one of the more conservative Democrats who were still in the party, not to say she is a conservative, but she was just closer to center than others. Um, but she had some pretty strong words on the way out the door. She did. But she's not conservative. You make a good point. She, she's not conservative. She's just not radical, you know. Um, and and as a result of not being radical, the Democrats view her as a conservative. There was a lot of uh, chatter today, if you will, about her being on a potential presidential ticket in 2024 with Trump and or DeSantis, I don't think that should happen. I don't think it will happen. Um, She's a gun grabber. Um, And while, you know, I respect her and I certainly respect her decision to say that the party has left, you know, her, she's not a Republican. She doesn't view things the way we do. And there's nothing wrong with that. Um, But we don't need to make her more than she is. Um, just because, you know, she's seen the light, so to speak, with, with regard to her party. I think it's fine for her to go out and, and tell her story and, and so forth, because I, I think that resonates with people, too. But but she's not a she's not a conservative. Well, she's not. And she won't. In my opinion, she will not wind up on a presidential ticket for the Republican Party any more than Liz Cheney will for the Democrats. Right. I, I think she's got too much integrity to, to, to even take that. I mean, she's, you know, she's she's not going to um, uh, agree with anything that the Republican standard bearer, uh, any position that person takes politically uh, on any issue that I can think of. And, and I just it would you'd be putting a square peg in a round hole. And and since you mentioned a possible Trump or DeSantis ticket moving forward, I want to get your thoughts on the story that I know you've been following very closely about the, the leaks from DOJ that they were going to offer a huge amount of money to a potential source who was uh, the source of the Steele dossier, I guess. They offered Christopher Steele a million dollars of your money to substantiate, verify, confirm the 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 information compiled in the dossier um and it it has made no splash whatsoever in the mainstream media um it's it's using the fbi it's it's everything that trump said and was laughed at and those people who agreed with him were 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 mocked and called conspiracy theorists during the the initial days of watergate uh, not watergate but uh russiagate um, collusion gate, if you will, 
the the Obama administration, the Obama Biden administration, used the FBI to harm a political candidate of the opposite party, uh, and and therefore to help Hillary Clinton and her campaign. And she was a, you know, had been a his Secretary of State, uh, so a, a former cabinet official in that administration to help her politically. It is. It makes Watergate look like a Sunday school picnic. It, it, it doesn't seem to um, matter to anyone who is closely associated or associated really at all with mainstream media. And it used a word there that I want to kind of tease out just a little bit because you said use the FBI to harm another campaign. And in the past, the statements have been, that the Obama administration was spying on the Trump campaign. And that seemed certainly clear. Uh, now, there could have been some justification. They really believed that he was you know, malevolent in some way and that there was some bad intentions there or some under, under, you know, underground information or something. But now it's gone from spying, as you say, to trying to harm his campaign. Yeah. Because they were actively paying a bounty for information that they could use against him. That's right. And, 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 you know, spying is like you like you say, is the collection of information. This was taking active steps not to collect information, but to do Donald Trump and his campaign harm politically uh, during the election season in 2016. Uh, you know, that's way, way beyond the pale and, 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 and way across the line. Um you know, if it's happened before in this country, no one knows about it. Um, you know, there's been uh, there was some effort uh, in Watergate to to use um, certain people who occupied certain jobs in the Nixon administration to assist uh, his campaign and skirt what were then sort of few and lax laws, but it wasn't an organized effort and and it didn't use law enforcement or this you know and the CIA refused to participate in Watergate they were given the opportunity to shut it down early by telling the FBI this was a CIA operation leave it alone Vernon Walters at the time was deputy director and he said no I'm not going to do that um, but I mean this the FBI when you when you grew up in the 70s like we did and certainly prior years, the FBI was the creme de la creme. A preeminent law enforcement agency in America. In the world. I mean, they were the best. They were fidelity, bravery, and integrity is the, is the slogan or the motto. If you could count on no one else or no other group, you could count on the FBI. You know, their job was to be a witness to the truth. Read a book about them one time. That's the name of it. Witness to the truth, uh, and and they were solid. Do the right thing in any circumstances. Not anymore. Well, and I, and I disagree. I think parts of them are still excellent, and and they do good work forensically. They do good work uh, dealing with you know all sorts of criminal behavior, interstate commerce, things like that. But what what has happened, and what we've seen now, evidence of happening from the leadership in the Department of Justice. And in the FBI and who knows what other agencies out there also shows a politicization at the top levels, which is absolutely unacceptable and which has impugned their reputation. 
Yeah. And, and, and you and I disagree on this, um, but I, I very much am in the camp of the FBI needs to be disbanded. We need to start, come up with a new agency with a new name, a clean house, start over again with, with new leadership. And if, you know, some of the field agents are worthy uh, and they may well be, um, then they can transition. But otherwise, um, the FBI, as we've known, it needs to be needs to be shut down. And, you know, the bad thing is that Obama's DOJ was very political. And now Biden has uh, with Merrick Garland, they've taken the same tack now. Yeah. And, and it's not just political. It's it's been weaponized because they've entered the fray on behalf of the Democrat Party. My opinion, but I don't think you can say that about the Trump DOJ. And in fact, many Democrats were talking about William Barr, who was speaking truth to Trump about the whole uh, election 2020 issue. Uh, they were not political. There's no evidence that they were going after their political opponents. And and to give the devil his due, I don't think it happened during the Clinton administration. You know, um, I guess if you really wanted to to look for for some way to attack the FBI as an institution, you go back to the Johnson, Kennedy, Eisenhower, Truman years when, um, you know, they might have been used to collect uh, information on folks that um, were not, um, at least with the benefit of hindsight, committing criminal conduct. Um, I think particularly as it relates to Lyndon Johnson and his use of the, of the FBI to uh, wiretap uh, Martin Luther King. Um, but at the time, uh, there was a communism threat, and there was there was some evidence out there that folks were worried that he might have been a communist, and I guess that was the cover that they used. Um, you know, so there's that, but that's not those aren't that's not party politics. It may be political differences, but it's not party politics in the, at the time of an election. And of course, they've been rightly excoriated since then that, that that's come out um, that they were spying on, on Martin Luther King. To me, the inflection point was when Eric Holder, who was Obama's AG, said that he referred to him as uh, Obama's wingman. Uh, and no, uh, the attorney general of the United States should not be the president's wingman. No, and, and he shouldn't be the president's friend and he's not the president's lawyer. And that's important. You know, he represents the United States of America and he needs to be able to say no to the president um, more so perhaps than any other position in the cabinet. Uh, and and it clearly did not happen in the Obama administration. You know, and speaking of cabinet members, you know, there's a story that came out today about uh well, I guess a year ago, there were these photos uh, of Border Patrol agents on horseback at the the border, and they were using what they call split reins or long reins to control their horses. Uh, Secretary of DHS and the president just came out and trashed them as they were whipping migrants, and it was horrible. Um, well, the, the story came out today through a four-year request is that Mayorkas had received an email at least a couple hours before he spoke. And he was told that wasn't true. Uh, yeah. And he was he was told that through an, this email that quotes the photographer himself as saying these pictures are being used uh, to show something that didn't happen. And, uh, you know, you'll remember that Biden came out and said, I promise you they'll pay. Um, and ultimately, there were a number of agents who were suspended without pay for 14 days for certain administrative procedural issues that 
turned out to, to you know, not really have anything to do with whether or not they, they whipped uh, human beings with these uh, reins. But, you know, the whole thing was was contrived and used politically. And as you say, uh, the secretary knew it wasn't so, uh, but yet stood there and allowed President Biden to say what he said uh, and then joined in. Do you think they did that for political purposes or does it reflect yes. a genuine distrust of law enforcement, which we've seen in so many other examples to just defund the police? Um, I, 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 I definitely think they did it for political purposes. I think they were so quick to seize upon that for several reasons. One, they don't like law enforcement. Two, I think it's pretty clear that Biden and the Democrat leadership uh, believe that the situation at the border is beneficial to them. And so they could they could enhance whatever benefits they believe they're getting as a result of the travesty and chaos that's going on at the border. Um, and and I think that they um, they seized on an opportunity and they didn't think it through and they didn't do their homework. And, and then, uh, you know, it would seem that uh, at least Mayorkas prevaricated. I don't, I, mean, I don't know how else to say it. You know, he, he had received the email prior to his statements where, where he, he trumpeted the party line about the, the agents were wrong. And it was, it was evidence of systemic racism to use his words. Uh, so I, I, uh, I think that, I think it was political and I think they're anti-law enforcement and they certainly are anti-border patrol and, and secure borders. Okay. Lisa prevaricated. So that may be the word of the night. I'm sorry. I was trying not to say lied. You're saying he lied. A cabinet yeah. member stood up and lied about law enforcement agents. Yeah. And that's more, that's more evidence for, for why I believe he should be the first one impeached. I know you would go with, uh, the attorney general, but I'm still going Mayorkas. Well, you know, you, you, you make a good point. Um, perhaps uh, from a tactical uh, standpoint, it, Mayorkas is probably an easier target than Garland. Uh, so that, that may, that may make a lot of sense, but, but I'd be happy either way. Well, let's just, uh, let's see what happens after January. Right. But, but speaking of impeachment, I, I want to get your thoughts on this. I'm going to throw you a curve because I don't think we talked about this. The second impeachment of Trump was his refusal, was based upon his refusal to allow funds appropriated by the Congress for aid to Ukraine to go to Ukraine unless uh, the Ukrainian law enforcement authorities turned over some information um, to him related to Hunter and Joe Biden's alleged corruption uh, with Ukrainian entities, correct? The only, the only modification is the first impeachment, not the second one. But yes, that was the first impeachment of Trump. Okay, I, I, I may have misspoke about that. That's right. The second one was the first impeachment. Um, so today, or, or in the last 48 hours, Joe Biden has threatened the Saudis with not allowing aid funds, if you will, appropriated by the Congress for the purposes of uh, assisting the Saudis in a number of uh, respects to be delivered to the kingdom uh, unless they 
delayed their imposition of this further um, decrease in oil production until after the midterm elections. Now tell me, help me understand the differences in the two acts. Okay, listen closely, Lee, and I'm going to explain this. Okay. It's the same freaking thing. It's the same freaking thing. Yes, it is. And and nothing from the mainstream media about how, hey, Trump got impeached for this. Nothing. Nothing. And, and you know, also, I, I have, uh, I, I think I have some sound and it's all inserted here. And it goes back to when uh, Biden went to Saudi Arabia and his press conference afterwards. And he talked about stabilizing oil uh, prices. Pretty clear. And I'll put that in here. This is what he said. We had a good, we had a good d- d- discussion on ensuring global energy security and adequate oil supplies to support global economic growth. And that will begin shortly. I'm, and, uh, and I'm doing all I can to increase the supply for the United States of America, which I expect to happen. The Saudis share that urgency. And based on our discussions today, I expect we'll see further steps in the coming weeks. Well, then he gives an interview this week where he says, no, it wasn't about oil prices at all. By the way, let's get straight why I went. I didn't go to one about oil. I went about making sure that we made sure that we weren't going to walk away from the Middle East. And, and, and in that same interview, he says Putin's not going to use a tactical nuclear weapon, but not too long ago, he told us we were on the verge of Armageddon. Well, actually, let me correct you, because he didn't tell us that. He told a bunch of rich Democrat okay. uh, uh, Democrats who were at a fundraiser, and he was trying to solicit funds from them, and, and somebody secretly recorded it. Well, okay, but but now he's told us. He's yet to really talk to the American people about this whole situation in Ukraine. I stand corrected. Good point. Um, so is is he... I mean, is that just crazy old Joe who lies and makes up stuff as he goes? Or or what? I think that's a wily old Joe who knows that he can say what he needs to for the moment, and most of the media is going to ignore it. I think you're right. And 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 it only matters in the short term because he'll change his story as he needs as we get past the short term. And no one will check him on it. No. Except for us, and we'll do everything we can to. Because it's the same freaking thing. Maybe we need to change the name of the show to that. That, That'll be the title for tonight's episode. It's the same freaking thing. I like that. Maybe we get t-shirts printed up and sell them. We'll have merchandise. We'll put the merchandise shop up up soon. Yeah. Well, what's on your radar for next week? Well, Armageddon, to to talk about that. That seems a reasonable Um, thing to be worried about. Yeah, we've been worried about that. I have for some time. You know, before you go on, let me just say, it is interesting because I think that people from different generations may view this differently and tell me what you think. But, you know, we were kind of in that time growing up where the nuclear scientists had the clock with so many minutes till midnight and, you know, everything happened between we were in a cold war between the U.S. and the Soviet Union. And then everyone said Reagan was going to drive us to war. And, of course, he led to the disillusion of the Soviet Union. But, you know, there was a point in, in life where if if you woke up and there hadn't been a nuclear attack, you felt like, well, 
you know, everything else is pretty manageable. There are more people that didn't grow up that way that did. I say, unfortunately, in the sense that I don't think they have the same appreciation for what it would, what it means or what it should mean when a president says that we're close to Armageddon. Um, whether it's true or not, when the president says it, it's pucker time. Uh, and, and, uh, I, I just think that a lot of, a lot of people just don't understand. And, you know, I'm reminded of Fred Thompson's lines in uh, the hunt for red October. when Jack Ryan goes out to the carrier to try to get them to take him, uh, or to do something with regard to the to the Red October. They're going to take him out and drop him in the ocean where he can get to the... Well, before they decided to do that, um, there's a, uh, they're watching CNN again, uh, talking about this uh, conflagration that seems to be growing or potentially uh, growing, and uh, a jet crashes on the deck. And they all run out of the captain's cabin and, and up the catwalk, and they, they, they view the jet burning on the, on the carrier deck. Uh, and Thompson says, it's going to get out of control. It's going to get out of control or something like that. And, and that's the concern that if Putin uses a nuclear weapon, even if it's a tactical nuke or uh, I think the proper term now is low-yield uh, radiation uh, bomb, but what do others do in response? And then what does Putin do in response to that? And, and, you know, very quickly, the, the fear is that you have ICBMs going back and forth um, and Armageddon. Um, although I don't think Armageddon is quite the way most people tend to think of a final battle in the Middle East, but more so just vaporize a good chunk of the world. Uh, that's the concern. And I'm just not sure that, as you say, people, people younger than, than we understand that, at least to the same same degree that those of us who are older do. Yeah, very good point. Um, but uh, so, so that's a concern. Um, I think inflation is, is going to, in the economy, you know, it's getting colder. Um, the Germans and the Brits are very worried about, you know, trying to keep folks warm this winter. Uh, there are fights, literal fights, in uh, in France because they're they're running out of gasoline at, at service stations, um, petrol they may call it. I don't know. Um, so so I worry about that. And then there's a there's a there's going to be a strike by some railway unions or union that's imminent. It was really. I mean, we were at the precipice earlier in the week. Uh, the Democrats in Congress and the Biden administration prevailed upon the union to push back the strike date till after the midterms. I got my eye on that. Um, and then I've got my eye on the Pennsylvania Senate race. Um, you, you saw, I'm sure, as did our listeners, the NBC News interview with John Fetterman and where it came out that he... Um, he has to uh, he has to use a computer transcription program, uh, even when someone's face to face asking him questions to make sure that he understands it because he has auditory processing issues as a result of his stroke. And it's quite sad uh, that a human being is suffering from that. But 
Does he need to be in the Senate? Does he need to be running for the Senate? It seems clear that he was having problems in that interview, even with that system. And, and the reporter actually spoke fairly openly about before it was set up that she didn't think he was following along with their conversation. Even the easy questions before they got, like you said, before they got going, you know, just the shoot the breeze kind of questions. He, she didn't think he was following along. Uh, and, and one of the questions she asked him or someone asked him, uh, I think it was the same interview, was, you know, did he think that Joe Biden should run for reelection? And he said and this was, I think, the first piece that made it out was he thought that was a question for Joe Ben. Joe Ben. That's right. You know, uh, it's, it's unbelievable. And it, and it truly is sad. Um, you know, I think he's a nut running around in his hooded sweatshirt. And, um, you know, I don't know that we want that in the halls of the Senate. But, uh, you know, more importantly, you got someone who you can't function. No, uh, you know his 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 speech patterns make no sense and um, scary stuff. So that's what's on my radar. Uh, that and playoff baseball, I suppose. You you mentioned inflation and, and the CPI numbers are supposed to be released tomorrow. The PPI came out today and it was slightly down, but still well over eight uh, percent. PPI producer price index is kind of the wholesale level, so it gets baked into the cake further. And through the process, and it's going to be reflected in the CPI, if not this month and following months. So inflation is still out of control. Yeah. There's a school of thought anyway that they're going to have to kill basically employment to put a break on the economy. And, you know, that's kind of been kicked down the road. So it's not just raising interest rates. It's, it's you know, putting folks out of jobs uh, to try to slow down inflation. And and I think that's really going to be bad. Well, it is. And, and there are a couple of things that are potential consequence. We've talked about one before, which is that when you have higher unemployment, there suddenly becomes a political push for more economic assistance, which is pumping more government dollars into an overheated economy and what effect that has. Uh, but the other part of that, I, I'd like to hear what you think about it, but I can't go anywhere that's fully staffed in terms of businesses. No. Every, no and every, everywhere you ask, they say, we can't get anybody to work. Yeah. Even at $15, $16, $17 an hour. Yeah. I don't know how all these people are surviving without working, but how's that going to play into escalating unemployment rates? I, I, I just... I don't know. But but I do know this. Biden said in his interview that he didn't think there was going to be in it, uh, a recession, although it was possible. But if it were, it was going to be a, a slight recession and it wouldn't last long. Well, that's reassuring. Yeah. So he went from there's not a recession to maybe, but and now it's possible, but it'll be short and slight. Yeah. Well, the other thing that's on my radar is is uh, Biden's upcoming political trip. He is going to uh, Colorado, California, and then he's going to Oregon. And he's spending two days in Oregon this weekend uh, because the the races there are so close. Now, what I've read is that Oregon has not elected a Republican to state office in 20 years. They've not had a Republican governor in 40 years. And yet he's so worried about Oregon, he's going to spend two days there campaigning for Democrats. And if he's going to Oregon, the Democrats are in trouble. 
that says something about at least how they perceive some of those races at this point. Yeah, and I'm surprised that the people in those races, the Democrats, want him there. Well, that may say something about how they perceive their races yeah. going. And we're getting closer to the midterms all the time, so we're certainly keeping an eye on that. You know, I meant to say this earlier when you were talking about Tulsi Gabbard, but you know, she had more pledged delegates in the 2020 Democrat National Convention than Kamala did. Good point. She had two. Kamala had two. zero. All right. Well, you got anything else this week? No, I don't think so. Well, very good. I feel like I'm missing something, but I can't think of what it would be. We'll get it next week. Okay. Well, thanks for tuning in for another episode of the Let's Think About That podcast. You can email us at comments at letsthinkpodcast.com. If you've enjoyed this show, please click subscribe with your podcast provider so new episodes are automatically uploaded. Leave us a review and tell your friends. Mm-hmm.